bedroom and as you can see it's very dark outside i'm actually going to open the window for you so you can see i don't know if you can see anything but i'm in a very quiet neighborhood in north london so it's uh very quiet and peaceful and green so it's really nice it's a bit expensive but it's worth it have you been living there for a while no only since uh, august like i've been in london for 10 years but this uh this is the first time that I'm actually like renting somewhere that I really like. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is this a result of your, uh, the seeming success of your career, the rise of it? Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it, it feels good. Since first hearing your music four or so years ago, I've sort of had this image of you, the consummate modern bedroom musician, tucked away in some cozy cottage in the English countryside, huddled by the wood stove and carefully crafting each song. How close is that or how far from is it to what really happens? Um, I'd say it's somewhere in the middle because I grew up that way and I'm from the countryside. So I have that like mentality, but for me, everything has been made in London. So it has, it has that, but I don't know if I had to think about the meaning of the music and stuff, I would never say that it really relates to London, you know, like London's a source of inspiration on many levels, but it's also like, I don't think it's the sound of London by any means. It's more like the sound of humanity as a whole or, or the more spacious places, I feel like. And I think that's, I mean, for me, you know, it's a big part of what's so interesting and relatable about your music is that it really, if someone put that record on, put on any of your records really and said, yeah, this is some weird, you know, record I found, dug up in a record store, came out in like 1974. Uh -huh. I wouldn't necessarily have any reason to doubt that. Yeah. You know, because it's like a timeless, it's not a datedness by any stretch, but more, this timeless feeling and you pull together so many different genres and styles and eras really that it's really pretty pretty cool i mean did you grow up in a musical family or where did you develop your ear well first i want to ask where are you because it looks really nice where you are uh, i'm in boulder colorado okay and i'm talking to you from my home office that's my the window looking south back there. It's a little after one o'clock in the afternoon. It's a gorgeous day. It's uh, Is it cold outside. No, it's like 65 Fahrenheit. It's about 20 degrees more than it should be right Are you now. You serious? It's that much hotter. Yeah, that's that's a bit worrying, right? I mean, on one hand, yes, like objectively speaking, absolutely. On the other hand, it's very pleasant and nice. And then, you know, and I just like was, had to go out and run an errand and I took my bike and it was glorious. Okay. Well, I mean, do, do you, uh, I'm going to get back to the interview in a second, but do you ever, do, sure, sure. do you relate to South Park on any levels? Being from Denver? Of course, on many levels. It is set here in Colorado yeah. and those guys went to the University of Colorado, which is like, a mile up the road. Wow. So yeah, I definitely can relate to South Park. That's good. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I moved here a little over 30 years ago. I grew up in Miami and transferred to university here in Boulder and just kind of stayed. Okay, good. Now I, uh, I have a sense of your background, so I feel like who I'm talking to more. That's why I ask you that. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you even being interested in that. It's the first time an artist I think that I've interviewed has been like, you know, what about you first? Let's get to know each other before we get right to it. So I was saying that your music feels very timeless to me and pulls from a lot of different places. And I was wondering how you developed your ear. Did you grow up in a musical family or household or how did that all come about? My family isn't really musical. I mean, my dad has the piano, he plays music, but I definitely grew up around music. Like at school, there was a lot of bands and the main kind of time was between the age of like 13 and 18 that I was in a school band that actually made a lot of difference. But before that even, I was interested, I guess, from the age of like 11, 12, just interested in the guitar and just like teaching myself a bit of piano. And I remember having like a lot of draw to it and kind of motivation and just felt like natural to me. I had drum lessons when I was younger than that, but I was never very good. But I'm sure it really helped, ultimately, thinking about it now. So yeah, I mean, it's just a very natural progression, you know, and then just getting more into it and more into it, and that's it, really. Like, I did my uh, A-level music, I went to university and studied music, I did all of that stuff, and I, I learned my stuff properly. Do you listen to a lot of music, or are you mostly just making your own music? Yeah, I do. Around that time that I was just talking about, I was listening to loads of stuff because people at my school were just sharing pretty much hard drives full of stuff that they had ill-gotten. But I mean, we used to just plow through, like someone would be like, oh, I've downloaded the uh, entire Bach catalog. And it's like, I listened to like one song from that or something, like 13 gigabytes of Bach or something like that. But I mean, uh, a lot of stuff we listened to. I had friends who were really into jazz. I was really into reggae at that time. A lot of 60s psych and uh, all of that stuff. But now, I don't really listen to as much music now. I'm a record collector and I collect African records mainly. So that's probably what I listen to the most, like just because I'm very drawn to that music. Like. The ethos, or not even that, like the mentality that goes with it, how it's very pure and natural and it's less economically driven. Something like that, or just maybe that it's just rhythmic, rhythmically and melodically really nice. That's one of the things that really drew me to your music initially was hearing that in, in your sound because I've been into, I hate the term world music, global music, you know, music from everywhere else. Yeah for a long time and that's the main radio show I do for KGNU. I've been doing it for almost 19 years. It's called Terrasonic and it's, I call it a, I don't call it a world music show, I call it a global freeform mix show. And so I'm pulling music from all different countries, all different eras and genres. Yeah. And it's music from around the world but not really a world music show if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely get what you, what you mean. And that's a big part of, as I was saying, what drew me to you because you incorporate this feel and these elements into your music without being like, I wouldn't 
file you under world music and a record store kind of thing. Yeah. But it's very clearly has that feel and I, and I just wanted to talk a little about that. And is that something that you've consciously done or just sort of osmotically picked up and it's come out in your music? Well, there's certain things that I like aspire towards. Like for me, uh, I, I would never consider myself going down the classical music direction but I would aspire and do aspire to like film composers a lot. So people like Ennio Morricone. And um, if you're into Global Groove, I guess I'd recommend one really cool uh, compilation that someone put out a few years ago called Hong Kong Score. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh -huh. So Hong Kong Score is basically like this compilation that I think the dude is French, but he put together all this film music from 60s and 70s Hong Kong and Malaysia. And it's mind blowing. Like for me, that was like something that I recently heard that I wrote to them. I was like, please do another one of these. I, I've got to hear more of this stuff. Cause it's like, you know, we had no idea in this part of the world that that level of sophistication was going on. And I don't mean that in a, uh, a rude way. It's just like, obviously cultures were a lot less mixed and confined back then, but they still fleshing out millions to record that stuff with orchestras, top composers and all of that stuff. So yeah, that's a big inspiration too. Yeah, and it's cool to see like how active those scenes were in those different places because being from the West, it's easy to believe that all the music comes from the US or from Europe. Yeah. And then the wealth of music that's coming out all over the world now but really like going back i'm referring more now to like labels like analog africa who are digging up music out of the vaults the music that that is coming out of there is so amazing and this is just the stuff that these guys have managed to rediscover you know unearth yeah pretty remarkable it is and um, it's a shame like do you know uh i'm i'm a big lover of congolese music and there's uh one of the main artists, Franco, I'm sure you've heard of him or know him. Oh yeah. So Franco, he said, I don't know when it was, must have been the 70s, he's like saying, you know, in Africa, we listen to your music, we listen to your European music, and we, we like it. You know, why aren't you listening to our music? You know, that's what he said. It took 40 years for it to, but even it's still a minority, you know, why, why did that never happen back in the 70s? Especially considering that there was all this great Afro-funk stuff that I'm sure would have done quite well in the UK market, even or the US market. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of answers for why we weren't really just exposed to that in the first place. But I know that once I discovered it, that was it. I really can't. Just a basic 4-4 beat doesn't really do it for me anymore. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, there's just something about the texture that it lends when you bring in these other elements that really make the music, like I like to say, these textures, they give your ears something to grab onto. Yes. As opposed to the commercial sheen of yes. the top top of the pops and all of that. Exactly. I mean, I think that a lot of it just comes down to marketing, really. Sadly, like, you know, who had that yeah. marketing power that was pushed upon us, you know, not that we didn't like a lot of it, but if, if the powers that be had pushed on us African music heavily in the 70s. I wonder how different it would be nowadays. You know, what could have been. Uh -huh. 
but it's great to see it seeping into even you know more of the mainstream now so at least it seems like it's finally starting to turn do you feel like that's happening definitely yeah it's slowly and it's it's in smaller circles but it is growing you know like if you look at bands like Crangbin, you know that's also making this more known as well like their their name is what a thai word for the airplane i think yep and if you drop a skin shaped song into a set of just kind of indie music it's going to stand out yeah. and it's because i think it's got something to do with that more global sensibility and people gravitate to that and don't even really know why yeah i was thinking like oh well you're kind of a a bedroom musician and i've seen that you do some dj sets but not really playing out live too much unless i'm mistaken but maybe the pandemic hasn't changed much for you in terms of how you're relating to you know music as a career you are completely right nothing's really changed i mean there's been a few things that i would have liked to have done this summer that got cancelled like you know for me it's just it's made it a bit a bit more boring because i like to at least do a few things like i'm very picky so i'll pick like a dj thing that i actually genuinely want to do not just because they could give me well if they paid me really well i would consider it anyway but i mean generally it's like i'll do it because i really want to do it or i want to go to place that it is you know something like that but yeah i mean i don't i don't do any live stuff dj stuff is few and far between is that decision to not perform live is that a is that a conscious thing or is it stage fright you're not interested just something you haven't gotten around to yet i mean i would be lying if i said that i didn't have stage fright about it because i've never done it live and i feel like the longer i leave it the more that that stage fright will be a bigger deal mm -hmm. but like that's not the reason that i'm not doing it that would be a completely reasonable reason to not do it so like for me i thought about it so many times and so many reasons why so i i, I guess i could just name a few that come into my head one is that like i would rather just focus on recording music my life is already busy I want to be a good like family person. I don't want to be one of those musicians who's always touring. I've done that in the past with other bands and I'm not a fan. I'm doing it for me really, for my own well-being. That's why I'm not doing live. I don't want to wreck myself going on tour. So yes, yeah, it's, it's very much a conscious decision and some people have even like said that I'm selfish and that like I must do it for the fans or something like that and I didn't reply to those people but I'm just thinking like sorry <laughs> whose life am I living mine or yours Well I had never thought about it that way before but now that you mention it <laughs> now I'm just kidding uh <laughs> Well that's interesting especially in a time when really said that the the only way for a musician to make a career is to tour You can make it a faster thing I mean like if i did a bunch of like npr sessions or things like that and just got a little group together to do those i'm sure it could speed up the process of me being better known but like i would never want to do it half-heartedly i wouldn't feel comfortable like you know if i do a performance i would want the band to be really well oiled and proper on it and and not just like a stripped down band i want to do it properly because i'm a perfectionist in that way that's another reason why I don't want to get into it because I know it's going to stress me out 
it's going to take up a lot of my time. I mean, the, the money part, I'm sure like that wouldn't be too big a deal. There would be many ways to sort that out. But I just personally know I would get very stressed and there'd be less time to focus on the music if I had all the live stuff to do as well. That's cool to see you make that sort of artistic decision of like, I need to put the energy here. That's pretty much it, yeah. I mean, like, I love recording and I don't think anything will be as satisfying to me as recording and releasing the, the songs. So that's what I chose to do. So this year you've put out two releases, Umoja back in June, and now Arrogance is the Death of Men. Yeah. Which is an intriguing title. Yeah. <laughs> Did you plan to put two albums out this year anyway before the pandemic hit, or is that just what you had the time to do once it hit? I think I just had the time to do it, and it just, like, that Umoja album took about a year to write and record, and that had so much organization to just get all of those elements to come together on an album was seriously hard work. And it's kind of a nightmare in some ways, you know, but then going from that, which like, I didn't do anything else, just pretty much that for that whole year. So it's like a very emotional up and down thing. Then going from that back into a classic skin shape ethic, was just effortless. So that's why it came out so quickly. And I basically, mm -hmm. I made a con conscious decision to kind of half ass, not, I don't want to say half ass, like that sounds, <laughs> but I mean, it's rough around the edges, arrogance is the death of men. And that's how I wanted it to be. Like I just decided this is how it is. I'm going to put it out. People like it, they like it. Right. I didn't like spend longer to fine tune the arrangements. I just did what I had available because it was the lockdown. All of that was done just at home. Right. So it's kind of like very basic and essential parts of the skinship sound with a few extra bits like that cool Chinese violin. Yeah, I want to get to the Airhu uh, inclusion of that. What was swimming around in your head when you came up with the concept for Arrogance is the Death of Men? It's quite hard to pinpoint the things that come lyrically. Like for me, it's just what I'm thinking about in general about life and how to convey like a good message in a few words. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those kind of phrases that just felt like a strong phrase. And I think that the song came first. So that was just a, a line in a song. And then it felt like, like that's quite a good poignant kind of, especially with the time, what was going on about coronavirus and people thinking that they're stronger than that and all, all of this fish that was going on like with Donald Trump and everything. It's just about that really, mm -hmm. uh, but I never like to say it too blatantly. It's just as a whole. Right. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that that is the case, that arrogance exactly. could be the death of us. And so it's really cool to just see that stated clearly in a way that's very inviting. And nice to listen to.
And you do include, as we were talking about, you bring the Chinese violin in on a couple of tracks, the Erhu. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Because that's a lot different than uh, an African drum, say. Well, I think actually originally I was planning, I told you about this album, Hong Kong Score. If you listen to that, you'll probably hear that there's quite a lot of influence from that specific album. So that's probably where the idea came from. Like, I had thought before about using some of the instruments that were used in like the House of Flying Daggers soundtrack, that movie. Have you seen that? I haven't. Okay, watch it because it's really good and the score is amazing. Making a note. Yeah, I think it's a Chinese movie, but it's great and it's got some really amazing musical things and it's very mystical. And so I kind of just wanted to incorporate some of that into the album. And then I found a guy who, like, I'm quite good at just trying to find musicians who play stuff. And I, somehow I found this guy called Wan Pinchu, who he, I knew he had been and recorded at Abbey Road not long before that in London. And he was back in Hong Kong, but he, he knew what he was doing. And, I just sent him the files and he did it all in Hong Kong and sent it over to me. It was really easy. Cool. Do you do that with a lot of artists? Like on uh, Umoja, there's artists from, seems like a lot of different places where you sending a lot of files back and forth for that? Not really. For that, the only time that I actually went somewhere else was uh, that there's a Kenyan singer called Idaziz on two tracks. Mm -hmm. He lives in Norway. He's married to a Norwegian lady. So he lives like in some small town on the south coast of Norway. So last summer, mm -hmm. me and my guy from the label, we basically just flew up there for two days, went up to like stay with them and in the middle of August, where it was still a little a little bit of warmth in the air, even for Norway. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those trips that you, it was just perfect, you know, a bit of recording and a lot of just chilling, like going down to all these amazing kind of lagoons and, and um, the land is like, it's, it's like archipelago right when it's all right land mixed with sea just for miles and miles and miles with forest dense forest mm -hmm. it's kind of like that How fully formed is your vision for a song before you start recording? Do you just start with a riff or do you have kind of a rough picture in mind and it's just a matter of coloring it in with the actual instruments? So I'd say that it varies, but like for Arrogance of the Death of Man, there was quite a specific beginning to the album, which I got my favorite drummer to fly over from Slovakia, where he lives. He's from there, but he moved back there a few years ago. And I work with other drummers too, but he's probably my favorite. And I basically paid him to fly over a few nights in the hotel, just hit the studio, record a lot of drum breaks, and just have fun for two days. And basically that was the, the basis of nearly the whole album, just those sessions. So it was pretty cool. I mean, um, it was really fun. But, you know, there's times where I'll have a more concrete, like, in that case, I would just play a drum, loop a bit of drums, and then write some guitar or bass or piano or whatever to it. But sometimes, like, there's a song on there called Flight of the Earth, 
right and that had a more specific concept in mind because i knew i wanted to make something more filmy which needed to have more structure it couldn't just be like create a skeleton and put layers on top mm -hmm. so that was actually like notating parts for the violins and took more work i was sitting at the piano writing the melodies for the violins and then transcribing that to the violin is that an approach that would make sense to take if you had to go into an, like an actual studio to record as opposed to are, are you doing most of this at home or are you using more and more like going into actual studios these days i mean i've never ever done a skin shape album in any studio apart from my own so like i i do a lot of it at home and i also have been renting a sort of communal studio space i've been renting that since like 2013 or 2014 six or seven years and so all of the drums will be recorded there 95 percent of the drums and all of the hammond will be recorded there all of the piano all of the string and uh, orchestral parts so there's there's elements that will be done there and then other parts like bass and guitar will most bass always and guitar nearly always recorded at home so i've got a little setup to use here which just sounds good and I'll do my mixing at home. I mix it all myself just because it's where I'm most comfortable. It's just easy, you know. Yep. Do you live alone? I live alone. I have a fiance. Congratulations. Thank you. She's not living with me. She's got two children, so I'm a stepdad of two. They're here now, but they're not here all the time. As a self-producer, do you get input or feedback from people as you're working through a project or is it all, how do you avoid blind spots? I don't let anyone tell me what to do if I want to do anything. Like, I'll just be like, I'm doing this. If you don't agree, then you can go for yourself or something. But I mean, I'll always bounce stuff off friends. Like, I'll have a small group of people that I'll trust just to get a second opinion old friends, people who I, who I know that they'll just say, that sounds a bit weird or this or that, but it's not necessarily much. I kind of feel like I have a good sense of what's actually good and what's not, so I'm not really too concerned about it, but I always like to get a second opinion for some parts or just the, the feeling of the album as a whole. Do you ever see yourself working with another producer? And have you talked to anyone about that? Has anyone approached you and said, hey, I would love to work with you? And Sure. I've done recording for other bands before. And I don't know. The thing is, is that I don't actually like spending that much time in the studio. I'm not someone who can just sit in the studio for like days on end. For me, I get crazy. I can't handle it. I want to go and walk outside. Like I'll blow up and I'll get moody or something, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
So I could never be a studio record producer. It's ironic, really. I'm not the, I'm not the right guy for that job. <laughs> I know I could make a really good record for someone else, which is appealing mm -hmm. as an idea, but I just don't want to do that. I, I really don't spend that long in the studio. Like today, I did like half an hour or something, and that was enough. I just stopped doing it and I did something else. I don't know, my other friends that are musicians, they can spend like six or eight hours a day, five days a week. I never do that, mm -hmm. never. <laughs> I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about, and I think I first learned about your music through Bandcamp. Yeah. And I get most of my music from Bandcamp. I'm a, I'm a Bandcamp power user. That's good. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, especially this year with the pandemic, Bandcamp has really stepped up, you know, waiving their revenue share on the first Friday of each month. They've been doing that since April. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. And just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Bandcamp because for me, some I've worked in the record business a long time and that's really like, I think it's really just almost perfect. And I mean, there, there's all, lots of things that can be done to you know make it better, but I think just the concept is just perfect the way it brings artists together with their fans in a very direct kind of way. Yeah. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. You know, would you attribute Bandcamp to you sort of breaking out? How did you even get discovered? by other people on Bandcamp. Talk about Bandcamp a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Bandcamp too. I don't know if you know, I have a uh, I have a record label myself that does only reggae. Horus Records. Yeah, exactly, so. I think before even Skin Shape, I was using it for Forest Records, and it's been great for that. For Skin Shape, it has been ridiculously good. I mean, we've done really well with it, and and yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just a really good platform that it feels kind of honest compared to a lot of the other platforms that I just feel like have been completely bought by corporations, and you know, that more and more being turned to uh, well, much more to the benefit of corporate giants rather than musicians. Not to say that I don't make money from Google, Spotify, all those people. And without them, I wouldn't actually be here, to be fair. But, you know, you, you just get a sense that it's part of the corporate machine rather than here's me and here's my fans and this is personal. And talk a little bit about Horace Records. It's a reggae label that you founded several, at least five years ago, predates Skin Shape. Yeah, well actually, uh, I could say that they go together in the first date because the first ever Skin Shape release was on that label in 2013. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like a hobby, I will call it. Me and my friend who I've known since 13, we both just wanted to have somewhere where we could reissue old Jamaican music that we love, just because we love it, as well as we use the same studio as Skin Shape to record our own music. 
which we release on that label too. And uh, he works in a reggae record shop, so he's got a distribution network already set up. So we, it's easy for us to just put it out there and a lot of shops will get it. And we're a small label, but we still have a name for ourselves. We've been around for a few years and we always try and do a really good job and nice artwork and good quality and everything like that. Yeah, there's some great stuff on there. Have you been to Jamaica? No, I mean, uh, my friend has. I'm not really that interested in going. Have you done much traveling? Yeah, quite a lot. Not really the, this, well, not this year. 2018, I did like 28 flights or something like that. And I've traveled a lot around Europe and a fair amount around Asia and Africa. I've never been to South America and I've only been to the US. Florida once when I was a kid, and a couple of times in New York. What's your uh, favorite place? Or what's the place that left the biggest impression on you? Well, my heart is in Ethiopia because that's where my fiance is from. So, I mean, that's it. I've incorporated Ethiopia and Ethiopian culture massively into my life, like, which is quite easy to do in London because the Ethiopian community is big. Right. So we always eat Ethiopian food, we always listen to Ethiopian music. I've got my own Ethiopian traditional shirt in the cupboard behind me for like Ethiopian New Year and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that that's had the biggest impact and I've, I've been there twice and I'm sure I'll go more. What's something you're looking forward to doing once we're able to move freely again? I mean, I'm looking forward to having a few gigs. I mean, like, not that I'm gigging, but in terms of like the old DJ set, like I'm I possibly meant to do like a six city tour of the USA doing a DJ set. So that would be cool. Yeah. That was meant to be this year, I think. But I mean, hopefully it'll be next year. I've been talking to some agent who wants me to be involved with that. So. A US agent? Yeah. Cool. I always say to people, my DJ sets are not DJ sets. They're just like selecting, you know, so I'd be slightly apprehensive about doing a like tour of the USA, doing six different cities as a DJ set, because I think that like people will expect me to play my own music. And that's one of my rules that I never do that. Right. I always just play the stuff that I like. And sometimes people don't really get it. They're like, why? <laughs> I would get it. I would totally understand you not playing your own music if I went and saw you yeah, exactly. DJ somewhere. It's weird for me to like play my music on the record. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I don't make music, but I, I can relate to that. And plus, you know, as a music fan, I'm like, okay, here's a guy whose music I really appreciate and I can go home and listen to his music tonight after the set but i'm like let's hear what he's listening to and what he wants to share with me exactly that's kind of where i'm coming from and not with a bunch of dj style but like you were saying more of a selector 
just kind of putting some music together, hopefully matching up the drum beat more or less or whatever, making a good segue. Yep. But really about the selections and not the... But I don't even match up the drum beats. I just like fade one out and put the next one in. You know, I went and saw Quantic DJ and that's what he did. I'm like, oh my God, that's all I have to do? Easy. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel really good about my selection skills, my DJ technique, my hand-eye coordination. No. No, man, you don't need to do any of that. Just as long as you play good music, that's all you need to do, really. Exactly. And that's the thing that I guess I'm really looking forward to being able to do again. Yeah. Play music at a party, go to a party, go to a club and see some music. I know, right? Oh man, all these like simple things. Yeah. Is there something that you miss the most from the pre-COVID world? I think it's just that extra freedom. I mean, we can go out to dinners and stuff now, but like, I think that I'd say I'm not a party goer, but just the, the freedom to go to like a, a busy event or a, a house party or anything like that, where it's just, you don't have this thought in your mind that like, oh, is there going to be more than six people there? Then it's the police are going to come and tell us we'll find 10,000 pounds. Yeah, exactly. That's the main thing is just to be able to go somewhere and not have to think about the life or death risk. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And then just to be able to go, like, I, I, I just want to go see live music every night for six months when this is over. Yeah. I would also say one thing, which is more of a kind of mental thing, is like the, the, the ability to walk into any shop or place that I want without having to think about if I need to wear a mask or not. Yeah. Oh man, I, I can't wait. It, it's going to be kind of surreal to walk into a shop without having to wear a mask. Yeah, it's so strange. That's such a strange feeling already. I know, it's bad. Anyway. So what's next for Skin Shape? Well, I've been working on a film score since September, which is nearly done. And I would basically say that it's uh, it's pretty much an album, and the deadline was to be done by the end of the year, and it's pretty much done. So cool! It's a film made by well, actually, it's not made. It's a film that's going to be made by a San Francisco-based director who is Eritrean, born in the USA, mm-hmm. and she is doing a film about Eritrea and the Eritrean diaspora. And she didn't really know that I was into like East African music when she asked me to do the score. But I actually have quite a lot of records from Eritrea. And so it kind of was quite natural for me. And so I easily located like Ethiopian traditional instrumentalists in London. And yeah, I mean, it, I don't think the, the film will be out until 2022 or so which is a bit of a bummer because it's like finishing an album and someone's saying you're not allowed to release it for two years. Right. But um, that's what I've been working on this time. And I've got a couple of singles, like Skin Shape coming out early next year, some unreleased, just little bits and bobs. And for sure there's going to be an album next year, maybe about a year from now. Depends really how quickly I, once this film thing is out of the way, I'll start working on the 
new album. So you've been scoring a film that hasn't been made yet. Yeah. But you've been working on the music for it. Yeah. How does that work? Well, I just basically imagine different moods within a film and try and write music that it's also set a hundred years in the future. So I'm trying to write futuristic East African music next to a skin shape. So you can imagine right. that quite an appealing project for me. I can't wait to hear it. It's, it's been awesome. I mean, it's, it's so cool. Like it's, it's a great, really fun project and uh, quite different, but it just, it was quite natural. It's got quite a lot of synths and um, drum machines and stuff like that. And it, it sounds cool. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy with it and, and the director's happy with it. So it's going to be nice to see it out. Is there a reason why she had you do the music before she started shooting? I think she wants to base the scenes around the music, which is obviously ideal for me because there's a lot more freedom. That's really cool. Yeah. You know any other directors who have done that? Or any other films that have been made that way? Yeah, I think it's it's not as uncommon as you think. I think that it happens and uh, I, I don't think I can name anything, but for sure there's some quite major films that have been done that way. I think some things like I don't know about the good, the bad, the ugly, that Ennio Morricone one. Maybe mm -hmm. that was. I could definitely be wrong on that, but it's, it's not uncommon. Hmm. Interesting. Because, you know, music can help you create a scene if you think about it, because it's that emotion, you know, so you feel it could give the director a different way to approach a scene or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I'm very interested to hear what that music sounds like, of course, and to hear how it matches up with the imagery. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Anything else uh, that I missed or anything else you want to add or talk about? I think that's about it, actually. Um, I think you've asked me a lot of good questions, so I'm, I'm happy. I was just going to ask you if, where people can get your music and all that. You like Bandcamp? I like Bandcamp. Just send them there. Ginshape.bandcamp. Dot com. You got it. Will, it's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, my friend. Ciao. See you, man. Bye.